Yo soy Steven Wolf Pereira de Encantos y estamos con Shelly Parma y Ross Martin en Think About This. I'm Shelly Palmer. I'm Ross Martin. And you're listening to Think About This. The more you listen, the less you know. Hey, Ross. Shelly. How are you? Uh, it's been a good week. You had an unbelievable social media week last week. Yeah. You're like a social media god now. Yeah, this week I'm going to chill out a little bit because last week I think I overdid it a little bit. Yeah, I think. I did. It was Ross, Ross, Ross. And it was wait, a big week wait, on the interwebs. Wait, it was a very big on the interwebs. I, you know, well, the thing is, first of all, obviously, you know, we were teasing the launch of the new agency, so which is known, called Known. Exactly. Known. known dot is spell it because no one will know what known K-N-O-W-N is k-n-o-w-n that's it dot is slash think about this <laughs> no so we launched known last week which meant that blackbird my brand strategy firm was acquired and uh, combined with shearson the data science and research company and stun the creative agency in la so you have Science, strategy, and then creative studios all together. Amazing mashup. Six offices, 225 people, huge announcement, great response. That was fun. And thank you, by the way, to everybody who is supporting us, all of our clients and partners, and everyone who cheered us on last week. That was an amazing launch. It was amazing. Good for you. The second thing that happened was that our friend Elisa Licht, who has that very popular podcast. Yeah, fantastic. Leave Your Mark, Uh which you have to go on now. because. It, I she, listen all the time. She's incredible. She really gets you to open up. And that was, it was a, it was a um, I don't know, it was kind of a unique experience for me because I told her things I don't normally talk about publicly. So get ready for that. When yeah. she does you, she's going to get you to open up. Yeah. I like her logo with the coffee cup. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's, she does a great podcast. I and listen to it all the time. The response to that was incredible. Also, when we had my son Theo on a couple mm. of episodes ago and he was playing mm. cello throughout the episode. Mm. Yes. And then our producers allowed him to really take us to the end of the episode. I, I have to say that yes. our producers did not allow. <laughs> there was absolutely no question that your son Theo, yeah. who is a 10-year-old phenom, mm-hmm. has amazing control of that instrument, beautiful tonality. He Thank really you. gets that thing to, to, to sound and he deserved a hearing. And congratulations to you and your wife and to Theo because he's really doing some good work. Theo, keep it up. If you're listening... You're my hero. He's famous at the Berkeley Carroll School, I'll tell you that. He's famous right here. Think about this. <laughs> so, Ross, you know what I want to do today? I have a feeling. I know. I want to talk to the world's <laughs> foremost expert in young human beings and marketing. You're putting too much pressure on Stephen Wolf Pereira. No, no, baby. I'm going to be talking to you. You, the look, guy. Look, all I know is it's hard. What do you want me to say? Yeah. Uh, so you, having been at Viacom for one zillion years and having done the Millennial Project yeah. and being the world's foremost expert on Millennials uh-huh, uh-huh. and then ultimately on Gen Zers and then ultimately on all human beings who are below the age of 30, uh-huh. uh, one of the most successful marketing strategists in the world, I thought I would ask you, what do you think has changed uh-huh. literally since, since the beginning of, let's say, the common era? I cannot say the name of this candidate. But there is a candidate running for president as we speak who called me in and I was flattered to be asked and asked, what do I think of his, so I guess I just narrowed it by half, Yes. of his marketing performance so far. Mm -hmm. And what I was blown away by, and you know what I'm going to say, he is marketing the way we did 20 years ago. Yeah. And it's remarkable to me that people have not picked up on the not-so-subtle differentiation between marketing 20 years ago and marketing today. 20 years ago, we pushed. Today, we engineer pull. 
Massive difference. If you have to push your way into any conversation, nobody actually likes you. Nobody wants that. And yet we continue as marketers to see brands pushing their way into people's consciousness as if that's a way to create brand love. So why don't you explain that a little bit? Because I think everybody in marketing knows exactly what you mean. But for people who are listening who aren't marketers, what do you mean by push? What I mean by push is let's buy as much advertising as we possibly can. And then let's spray and pray. Let's cover as much media ground as possible. Let's inundate your consumption with marketing messages that, by the way, are just going to repeat themselves over and over again because we don't have enough money to make more than one or two of them. And then let's just fire it at you as much as possible and assume that when you see six of them, let's say, you'll decide we're the brand for you. Doesn't work. Uh, Stephen Wolf Pereira, who within Contos, what he's trying to do is build this family of brands around the idea that there's a giant hole in the marketplace. And it's less of a marketing push to children than it is a way to engage them and bring them in. Right? I think what Stephen is doing and what all great marketers do is find a central human truth around a need. Like, why on earth does this brand need to happen in the world? Who on earth needs this product or this service? How do I find the people that actually need or will want this, reach them in the right place at the right time in the right way? That is what I mean by engineering pull. Sure. If there's no need, then there is no need for you to exist. And yet still we have brands that are holding on for 30, 40 years yeah. as if it's just going to somehow magically change if we come up with a good ad. doesn't work. So I don't want to push Shearson too hard and known, but I'm going to ask you, how does data play into what you just talked about, like from your perspective now? It's such a fucking abstract question. That's I'm okay. I'm just trying to think through this. No. I, um, I, by the way, it is an abstract question, except it's the question. And, and in fact, I think you would, you would do a great service to everybody listening if you explained why that is such a fucking abstract question and it's the wrong question. Look, I think, I think you know, people ask us why we called our company known. And there are, there are three reasons. One, you, you need to know yourself. If you're a brand in the world today, you need to know what you stand for, why you exist, and, um, and what you're setting out to do. Number two, you must know your audience or your consumer better than anyone in the world. If you don't, you have no hope. If you don't, what you're doing is engaging in ready, fire, aim, mm -hmm. right? And three, you need to know how you want to be known, right? So how right. do you make yourself known in the way that's um, most meaningful for you and your brand and for your consumers? This is a marketing is all about selling an exchange of value. What can I give to you? What can I add to your life in some way that will make it better or easier or simpler? And if I can't do that, then why on earth should you pay attention to me? Right. With all the noise, you only become the signal if you can offer people something that is of value. You can't convince them it's of value if it's not actually of value. So when you ask about marketing today, it's hard because you're trying not just to find a single solution for 200 million people, you're trying to find 200 million solutions for 200 million people. And that's complicated. Think about that. Any questions? No, not for me. I don't get it. What exactly don't you get? It, it turns from a building into a robot, right? Precisely. What's, what's fun about playing with a building? That's not any fun. This is a skyscraper. Well, couldn't it be like a, a, a robot that turns into, into something like a, like a bug or something? A bug? Yeah. 
like a big prehistoric insect with maybe like giant claws that could pick up a car and, and crush it like that. A prehistoric transformer. Interesting. Gentlemen. It, so the robot turns into a bug. Ah, uh, gentlemen, oh, listen, listen, listen to him. just got a very good idea here. Ross, there is way more to kids marketing than than I could. I You've forgotten more about kids marketing than I'm going to learn in my life. So talk to me about kids marketing. I think the first question is why do you have to market to kids at all? Like because experts say that kids don't receive marketing in the way that we ever intend it, that they don't understand persuasive intent until they're eight, nine, ten years old, and that it's also unethical to advertise to them before then. So that's the, the question of why we're even advertising to children or marketing to them is an age-old question. Would you argue that we are a nation of people that worship youth and aspire to be young? I certainly would. So, and, and not only that, not only that, we're a nation of grown-ups who depend on their kids to make decisions about what to buy, what to drive, where to stay, where to go on vacation, where to eat dinner tonight. So that's tonight. the dilemma, right? We've actually seeded a lot of decision-making in the family to the children. Sure. Right? Kids who are 7, 8, 9, 10 years old who are making decisions on behalf of the entire well, family. Super key insight I got from one of my grocery clients is that uh, moms who are working two jobs now in middle America will give the 12-year-old 200 bucks on Thursday and say, go to the grocery after school. Right. And get us whatever. And, and get us what we need. Here's right. Because I don't want to come back from the grocery store and have you complain that I didn't get what you wanted me to get. But I was stunned. That 71% of parents say they solicit opinions from their kids regarding purchases. Nearly all of them let kids weigh in on what's being bought when the thing is mainly for the kids themselves. But more than two-thirds of parents take the kid's view into consideration when making family purchases, which means if I'm trying to figure out if we should go to Europe for vacation or the Virgin Islands, guess where we're going? Where Theo, my 10-year-old, decides we're going because he's held our family hostage. We're basically at his mercy. In that case, it's the Sorbonne to do some art, and then you're going to stop at the uh, La Scala Opera House. But I know Theo's tastes are well, better than yours he, in many here, ways. It's true. But here, here's the other thing that's kind of surprising, and this flies in the face of science, which is when you ask children what good marketing and bad marketing looks like, they will tell you. Right. Kids know what a good ad looks like and what a bad ad feels like. And, you know, this is something that we are still studying. Good ads to kids are ones that are funny, but not stupid funny. Bad ads are ads they can't understand. Like they don't understand why that's funny, but and they're not sure why parents and other kids might be laughing and they just don't get it. So nobody who works in advertising is actually a kid. Right. So we all have the 20 to 30 year age gap where we're trying to figure out what will they want. And what we all do is bring kids into the room and have them respond to content or to media and tell us if that works or if it doesn't work. And what has worked, what is working is changing rapidly, mostly because of language. The language of memes and the language of filters and the language of emojis have all replaced the language of the tagline. Also, same with the language of dance, as you and I are seeing from TikTok and Dub Smash. Oh, yeah. The language of dance is greater than the language of words. The language of gaming is greater than the language of a tagline. That's why Apple Arcade is working and their ads are performing really well with kids under the age of 15. And here's the thing about language that kids are not getting. They're only getting English language. In this country, they're not getting Spanish. Right. And everybody knows that is the big white space. Yeah. 
they're not being spoken to in their first or second language, which is Spanish. So our next guest got that. I think one of Stephen's key insights is that not only does he feel like he wants to respect both cultures, the Hispanic culture and what he perceives to be an American culture, but he's also realized that there are cultural similarities across the world. So he's not just thinking Spanish for Encantos. He's thinking all languages and English, bilingual children, trilingual children. He is really hoping to help kids have an expansive view of the world. And I think today in our political climate where nationalism across the world, not just here, and I'm not trying to make a political statement, it's just an observation of fact, we become more nationalistic um, from the administration down. Europe has two, Brexit's done. People are starting to close ranks. It's a very scary time. And yet that's probably the worst thing for the future because the way to engender understanding and the way to make people live together more harmoniously is to have them understand each other. And the number one way you understand someone is being able to speak their language so that you know that you can experience what they've experienced. I love that. I like music for that, right? Because music is pretty universal. Music, and, dance. And yes. Stephen has incorporated music and he's incorporated visuals and beautiful animations and stories that are – that are that embody universal truths. Yep. And I think that's important too. Like we all have common experiences. So those are some of the key insights from, from Encantos. But I think that's my interpretation. Why don't we hear it from Stephen? We'll be right back with Stephen Wolf Pereira from Encantos. Shelly, we're back. We finally have the Stephen Wolf Pereira from Encantos Media. Encantos. Stephen Wolf Pereira. Que pasa, mi hermano? Hola, amigos. How are you? We're doing great. How are you? Doing well. Just fresh off a kid's screen. So uh, lots of exciting things going on. Dude, of everybody that we know, you are the most on fire right now. You're in Fuego. You closed your first round, and I think you got a lot of money in the bank to now make your vision for Encantos come to life. You keep winning awards. You keep doing deals. And everyone in the world has a selfie with you, which is crazy. You are like the selfie king of the entire internet. So we'll ask you a simple, easy softball question just to start so people can understand what is Encantos. Encantos is really focused on helping to inspire 21st century kids to learn 21st century skills. So think of us in three-part way. We're a one-part entertainment company where we're building character-led family brands. We're one-part education focused on 21st century learning, literacy, and life skills. And then one part technology, where we're actually building a personalized learning platform to power all of our digital experiences. And it's all connected by purpose, because we're actually a public benefit corporation, similar to like a Patagonia or an Honest Company or an Allbirds. And each of our brands actually supports a social cause. Damn, Shelly. How are we going to poke a hole in that? I'm expecting all the tough questions to come, so bring them on. Ross and I, to our friends, like to throw underhand softball pitches directly over the plate, yep. but fast pitch. Yep. So now... Hardball question, just because it's you. This has been tried before. That's all marketing bullshit. This is really hard. Why do you think you're going to succeed? It has been tried, but I think it hasn't really been executed in the right way. And I think the reason why we're going to succeed is one, because of the cultural authenticity. I don't think people realize that today in America, 50% of all kids are actually multicultural. And so part of the reason why a lot of shows fail, part of the reason why people are certainly leaving uh, linear TV is because they don't understand the consumer today, which is truly digital and diverse. And the fact that we're building culturally authentic 
family brands that actually lead with an insight, either being led with a Hispanic insight around our bilingual preschool brand, Canticos, or it's being led with kind of a food insight or a 21st century learning skill insight. But we're really trying to figure out a way to bring these brands to life in a relevant way. And I just think that a lot of folks have missed that mark. And they're just not putting out content that is going to be meaningful to the kids of today, which are actually generation alpha. It's so easy to say that, right? Because you you know, but Stephen, seriously, it's so easy to say that, oh, you know, the Beatles are great, but like music today sucks. You just need to put out music like the Beatles. It's like you can Mm -hmm. say that all day long. You should sit down and try to write a song like Paul McCartney, and then you can talk. Because truthfully, this guy's one in in five generations, and no one writes songs like that, which is why they're the Beatles and nobody else is. You're right. If you have the Beatles, you're good. So do you have the Beatles? Damn straight we got the Beatles, Shelley. I mean, when you think of our first brand out the gate, Canticos, which is now the number one bilingual preschool brand, Emmy nominated in its first season. And we actually just won our second consecutive Kid Screen Award for Best Digital Preschool Series. Damn straight we have the Beatles. We actually have the chops. We are effectively building the Beatles or, you know, I like to think of it as the multicultural Avengers, where we're bringing together creators, talent, educators, technologists that really have not been put together before. And especially having creators that are diverse creators, whether it's you know women, people of color, LGBTQ, but really having folks that have not told their stories before. So Stephen, you're coming out of the gate hot. Obviously it's working for the first year, but implicit in your thesis is really a scathing indictment of Univision, right? Because what you're saying is they have failed. And by the way, we're on the precipice of Univision being sold for parts. So what did they get wrong that you're getting right? It can't just be authenticity. It can't just be relevance. Are you saying that your content is somehow more evolved, better than what they were doing? First off, no disrespect, but this is not about Univision. This isn't a Hispanic play. Encantos is building family brands and we're focused on kids that are relevant today. So today's kids are diverse. Our first brand happens to be culturally authentic to the Hispanic community, but it's going to be beloved by everyone. So if you're Hispanic or non-Hispanic, you're going to love nursery rhymes and you want your kids to learn another language, that's going to make them smarter. Candidly, you know, whether it's Univision or it's any of the kind of major, you know, linear broadcasters, they've all kind of failed because they have not recognized that 50% of kids in America today are diverse. You're just not putting things out there that are relevant. And candidly, they're not that interesting because you are not finding a way to fuse entertainment and education. Kids learn through play. And today's millennial parents, they actually want their kids to learn something. They just don't want them to be watching some, you know, boring thing or, you know, just some, you know, kind of brain dead thing that doesn't have any type of educational value. And that's why you see the migration to all the streaming platforms. They're just doing much more innovative things on the SVOTs. So you're... Last couple of weeks have really one of the headlines has been that you've assembled an A-list roster of investors. How are you going to get kids to invest? How are you going to get families to invest? This is actually kind of the biggest challenge that we have. You know, we are trying to go out there in a very authentic way to engage parents and kids directly. Where do you reach them? How do you connect? Where, where are kids today? They're obviously on digital platforms. And so we want to be wherever the kid in the family is going to be. But it has to be truly omnichannel. So if, if you think about it, the way we launched Canticos, we did both a book, like a physical board book, and we also did a digital app, and we did a sing-along video on YouTube. And after a year with no marketing, that video had over 30 million views organically. And the books were award-winning. 
And so you want to be wherever the kid in the family is. Sometimes, you know, when you're putting your kids to sleep, you're going to want to read them something. You don't want to screen in front of them. But maybe if you're in the car and you actually want to hear music, or if you're at a restaurant, you want to put a video in front of them, you really need to be about the customer. You need to be about the family. And I think most folks forget that. You also launched Issa's Edible Adventures, a food-inspired preschool brand. So tell us about that coming in the spring of 2021. What is that about? All of our brands are tied to these UN Sustainable Development Goals. And one of the key things is really understanding nutrition. You know, this is about health and wellness literacy, back to the 21st century, learning literacy and life skills. And so we partnered with an award-winning chef. Her name is Aoya Lee Kong. And, you know, she is a complete badass. She, you know, worked in banking. She, you know, went to Brown in Columbia, but then decided to leave banking to become a chef. Went to the French Culinary Institute. She was a chef at, um, working at Jean-Georges and Per Se and all these New York restaurants. And she kind of reached this moment in her life where she had little kids and she realized, wow, there's really nothing out there that it teaches about food, kind of the science of nutrition, but also there weren't any kind of lead characters that looked like my kids. And she's half Tanzanian, half Pakistani. So, you know, having two mixed race little girls, it's really detrimental when you don't see yourself in children's media at a very young age. And that was part of the inspiration to create Issa's Edible Adventures. Again, one part entertainment plus education and then one part technology. Stephen, you talk about the generation you're trying to reach in a way that I think is different than most marketers today. Who are you trying to reach? How do you characterize them? It's actually not something that we created, but we really focus on Generation Alpha. And these are the kids of millennials. I mean, if you think about it, millennials are now, they're having kids, they're having families, they're laying down roots. And Generation Alpha are actually kids born after 2010. So it was the year that the iPad came out. It was the year that Instagram launched. And these are the most digital and most diverse generation ever. And it really is interesting to see kind of that these are now kids that are 10 years old. And so when you think about what they are looking for, I mean, this is a generation that is going to grow up on, you know, kind of Google, you know, voice, Alexa, um, you know, they're just going to engage with content differently and they need to learn differently. And I just feel like this whole educational industrial complex that exists, you know, from the 20th century, it's so out of date. It's just not the way that people learn. There's a diversity to learning and we are very learner centered. So how can we actually build brands that are going to tap into that? And that's part of the reason why we're very focused on Generation Alpha. So, Stephen, I think like now that Encantos is a thing, it's financed, it's like out in the world, you're already nominated for an Emmy, like you're doing deals all over the place. It wasn't that easy. Like in the beginning, when you started making your pitch, were you met with skepticism or were people embracing you right away? Well, first off, I mean, it's still not easy, right? Like we are trying to build something that is very different. One part entertainment, one part education, one part tech. The pushback that we got when we started out was really interesting because people were like, oh, why are you doing this? We met with many of the major publishers and the feedback was crazy. They were like, oh, well, you know, there's really no market for doing a bilingual nursery rhyme series. You know, Latinos don't really read or, you know, they have no money. I mean, it was just really insulting the kind of stuff that we'd hear. People would say that Latinos don't read? Yeah. Again, if you're not in the room where it happens, when you still have a majority of, you know, kind of people in the C-suite or in decision-making roles and they're not diverse voices, it's really hard to kind of cut through the clutter because they're not going to understand why do you need to do this? Why do you need to create a board book in both English and Spanish and actually design it in a way where there's English on one side, Spanish on the other? I see. So you didn't wait for some white 
male executive to say, yes, you just said, we're just going to do it and not wait for you. Absolutely. We've all worked in kind of marketing. We've worked with big brands. We've worked with big companies. The lip service around diversity and inclusion, it's ridiculous at this point. It's 2020. Why are people still trying to figure out, oh, should I spend some money on, you know, a diversity initiative? Should I actually make my campaigns more diverse? And then, you know, brands still get it wrong. I mean, just no one is really making the investment to where it needs to be. If a third of America today is diverse, going to over 50 percent by 2050, why are we still having this debate? Great point. You know what I think? Quick exit. There's no way that Encantos is an independent company two years from now. No. It might not call that right now. Yeah. There's just no way. He's going to have to fight so hard to not take the money. So the question is, is it Disney or is it Apple? Who's buying you? Yeah. Microsoft, so, Netflix. Here's the thing, but, but why, why can't there be a third way? Like, what, why what do you it? have to sell? What's like, the third way? What, what if you just build a business and you focus on the end goal, which is really creating brands that will stand the test of time? Great. We're not trying to like, you know, do a quick exit. That's not our goal. I'm not saying you're trying have to, to build leave. a brand. You but realize I think you're gonna have $250 million in your pocket. Yeah. Make it a little bit easier for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, Steven, you're supposed to say that everybody who puts money in, especially the investors, like the fact that you don't have an exit strategy. We know, however, that this is brilliant in every way, and you've done an incredible job. And a shout out to Susie, the creative your creative director, who is a creative genius. And your wife, who and, actually started this whole thing. Yeah, because she's way smarter <laughs> than you pissed are. Off right now that we <laughs> No, no, no. I mean you're, you're spot on. I mean, we're actually a female-owned company. Yeah. Who, so both who are the you know, founders Susie of, and, and Nuria are, you know, kind of the Who are the founders, founders of Encantos? So, yeah, it was it was two families that came together. It was my wife, Nuria Santa Maria Wolf, and myself, and then Susie Jaramillo and her husband, Carlos Hoyos. And these two families came together, but it is a female-owned and operated company. So Nuria um, we're and really Susie about are about to be two very, very wealthy ladies because in less than two years, you're <laughs> going to be forced to either accept or turn down somewhere between 250 and 500 mil. And by I don't way, know what you're talking and about. And by the way, we got, we got I know you're investors. Wishful thinking. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, we also got a shout out, Carlos, because the tech behind this is first rate. It so, is. Um, and you guys have done a really nice job. Hey, Stephen, thanks so much for, for talking to us about Encantos today. And I, I, Ross and I, I will speak for Ross, wish you from the bottom of our hearts only success. This is an amazing organization you put together and you had a great week. And I hope every week is as good as last one, man. Well done. Send us to your website. What is it? It's EncantosBrands.com. EncantosBrands.com. I'm on my way there now. Every day I get a call, and I know you get calls like this too. Every day I get a call from someone who says, hey, we need an AI strategy. It's like, no, you don't. You, what's the business problem you're trying who to solve? Who are you? What, you? what are you trying to do? It's like, oh, no, but you know, AI is really cool right now, and it's like it's going to help us with our marketing. It's like, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, we've skipped first principles. Right. And we moved to third and fourth. And if you, if you, you know, because yeah. the tactics are noisy now, someone comes and, and pitches you a business idea. The first thing I say to them is not whether this is a good idea or a bad idea, but why? Yeah. Like, why does this need to exist? That's right. On planet Earth. Value creation actually has been switched around. And I know it's a core principle of yours and it's become a core principle at the Palmer Group also, which is when we talk about value creation, it used to be in the context of the enterprise, mm-hmm. right? We're either cash creating or value creating for the stakeholders of the enterprise. And what we've tried to do with our clients over the last 10 years, and I think we've been successful at it as best we can, is to say the value creation happens at the consumer. They, you create value for them. Everything else takes care of itself. Well, case in point, Lego. Yeah. That's Lego's entire business. Yes. Is how do I feed the imagination of young people? How do I give them things, tools to play with that help them bring to life what's in their head and what's in their heart? 
physically in the real world. Mm -hmm. That kind of manifestation is like the greatest value they could add to kids' lives. And every decision that Lego makes, not just about how they communicate, but what they craft, what they design, how they sell it, is all consistent with delivering more value to their core consumer, which is the kid. And that kid is pulling Lego into their lives. You don't push Lego into the lives of a kid or a family. They pull you in. That's what Lego has done better than anyone, which is to engineer pull, especially in a world where all marketing to kids, for example, is super regulated. So you're actually not even allowed to push your way in anymore. You have to do little things that pull your brand into kids' lives. It's funny. uh, On rainy days, I like to take my granddaughters to the Lego store here in town. And, you know, they they make sets of all kinds now from robotics to whatever. But there's this one wall at the Lego store where you can buy raw Legos the way you buy candy in a candy store. My granddaughters. That's where they go. That's where they go. Yeah, of course. And they they grab buckets of the stuff and then they make what they want to make. To me, that's the genius. Let me take that a step further. You know what the real genius is? Legos watching what they build. Yeah. Legos recording everything that happens in that store on that wall. And Lego's designing the next version of every single Lego based on and inspired by what your granddaughters are doing on that wall. Kids in the Lego store are telling you exactly what they want. All Lego has to do is get good, which they have, at listening and then converting that and commercializing it. Think about that. Think about that. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts, a quick comment or review, and thank you for downloading and subscribing to Think About This with Shelley Palmer and Ross Martin. If you think you know less than you did before, just wait until our next episode on the Westwood One Podcast Network.